Before I begin, I just want to take a moment to share a word of thanks and celebration. Next Sunday, uh, about 33 of us from here at New Life, from our student ministry, are going to be heading out to Puerto Rico on our missions trip that we've been planning for the last several months. And it's been, it's been a really great time of planning and preparing and hoping and dreaming and just kind of leaning into the things that God is doing and, and trying to have a bigger, better vision for what that is. And, and as we prepared, we've had a lot of joys and a lot of anxiety along the way. And so we're, we're ready. We're, we're excited. There's hard work to be done. We found out this week we'll be doing a roofing project uh, for a family in Puerto Rico. Um, actually, for three families. We'll be putting a roof on their homes after the storms that came through last year tore the roof off of a lot of houses. Um, and I, I, like I said, I'm just, we're really, really excited and blessed. But also on top of that, more than just the going, we're able to do this because of the generosity of our church and our community here at New Life. We set out with a goal of raising $20,000. And, you know, I was praying and hoping, and God, please, like, can we do this? Is this going to be possible? And God has a way of just blowing far past my expectations, that's for sure. We were able to raise $40,000 for the trip. And that's, that's going to enable us to buy all the supplies that we need, have all the materials that we need so that we can be a blessing to these families. So thank you. Thank you for the way that you gave, for the way that you got behind what it is that we're going to be doing. And like I said, I'm really excited and I can't wait to share after the trip with all of you the stuff that we experienced and the ways that... God came to us. So before I get into our word for this, this afternoon, I just want to take a minute. Can we just pray together? Awesome. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and I give you thanks. I thank you for this opportunity to, to share, to look into your word, to, to understand what it means to not live the life of someone else, but to live our own God-given, unique lives. Open our eyes to the ways that we need to to see and understand what it is that you are calling us to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you have ever seen the movie Big? Anybody? You can raise your hand. Big came out 30 years ago. That seems a lot, like a long time ago, it seems a little insane, but 30 years ago, a movie called Big starred Tom Hanks, and it was the story of a 12-year-old boy named Josh. And Josh went to an amusement park, and while he was there, he tried to get on a roller coaster and realized that he was too short to ride the ride. Has that ever happened to anybody? It's so sad. You walk up to a ride, and you're just looking forward to getting on, and somebody with a ruler stands there and says, you don't measure up. (laughs) So Josh walks away dejected, defeated, and really just sad. That's sad. Can can I get an awe for Josh? (laughs) So he wanders around the amusement park and he stumbles upon a machine that allows you to make wishes. And he makes, he stands in front of the machine and he makes a very simple wish and he just wishes to be big. Josh goes home that night. He goes to sleep. And he wakes up the next morning a 30-year-old man. Talk about a wish just going way beyond what you wanted, right? He's 30 years old, and so what does he do? He goes out and does what any reasonable 30-year-old would do, and he gets a job. 
Not only does he, get to, does he get a job, he finds a girlfriend and he starts dating this woman who's also 30 years old. Mind you, on the inside, he's still 12. There's some issues there for sure. <laughs> and it's such an interesting story because he's at first really, really enjoying the freedom that comes from being an adult. He's able to buy whatever he wants, and I think he buys a bunch of toys, and then he dances on the giant keyboard, and it's all fun and good times. But then the pressures of living an adult life start to weigh on this 12-year-old. All of a sudden, all the fun he was having is no longer fun anymore. He starts wishing for the life that he missed out on when he woke up the next morning an adult. He realized in this moment that he's living somebody else's life. Now, I wonder, sitting in this room, if we were to take a step back and take stock of our lives, how many of us would realize that maybe we're also living somebody else's life? Maybe we're living our lives according to the expectations of other people and missing out on the things that God is calling us to. Last week, we started a series called Living an Authentic Life. And this, to this afternoon is just a continuation of that. And we're going to be talking about what it means to quit living someone else's life. Because if you're living somebody else's life, it means that you're not living your own God-given, unique life. And so we find today a passage in the book of Mark where Jesus is encountering a whole bunch of different people. I want to share it with everybody and read it, through, read it through together. So it's going to be Mark chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. And 31 to 35. So it's Mark 3, 20 to 22, and 31 to 35. One time, Jesus entered a house, and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said, but the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So here in this passage of scripture, we find Jesus doing Jesus things. (laughs) Word about what Jesus was, was doing had began to spread and people were coming from everywhere to, see, to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Some people came to see a show, to perhaps experience a miracle in the life of someone else or in their own life. Others came because Jesus was a really great teacher and they wanted to maybe pick up a new insight or learn something. And still others came because they were looking to do one thing and one thing only, and that was to discredit anything and everything that Jesus had to say. In this instance, we also see Jesus' family coming along, and they seem to have their own set of things that they're looking for out of Jesus. All these different groups, 
All these different groups were constantly around in the life of Jesus, some at separate times, but in this moment, they're all together at one time, putting the weight of their expectations of what his life should be onto him. Jesus, the pressure on him to live someone else's life was incredible. It was immense. Think about that for a second. It's just pressure packed. Every group has expectations of him. The crowds want healing. They want want an experience with Jesus. The teachers of the law want Jesus to kind of just adhere to the status quo and keep things the same, to let them do whatever it is that they're doing. Other people want Jesus to overthrow the governmental authority and set up the kingdom of Israel here. In this one instance, Jesus' own family shows up where he is. And the only way that they can explain what he's doing is to call him insane. I don't know about you, but if my family showed up in church today, this morning, afternoon, whatever time it is, and they were like, don't listen to him, he's crazy. I'd be offended. I'd be angry. Like, anybody? I mean... His own family was, re- was misunderstanding who he is and then rejecting him on top of that. It's because the expectations they had, maybe they just wanted Jesus to live a safe, quiet, manageable life. Jesus, come and work with us in the carpentry shop. Help your dad build this new table that we're coming out with for this year. It's like top of the line quality stuff. Jesus, that's what we want your life to be. It needs to fit our expectations because we know what to do with it if it does. But Jesus wouldn't have any of it. How many of you are like me and you just... You really don't like being misunderstood. Oh my gosh, it's the worst, isn't it? You go, you approach something with really good intentions. You you come about, you come at something with this, a really great idea of, of of how you want to do it. You even have a sense, maybe, that this is the thing that God has called you to do, and you're met with opposition from other people. It gets under my skin. There's one instance um, I was at a church for a really, really long time. 30 years of my life in one church. I was practically born in the sanctuary. I mean, I, was, I, I, came, to, I came to faith in Christ at that church. All the early years of my, of my discipleship happened at that church, and I genuinely loved being there. And then I felt a, a sense and a call from God that it was time to move on. That there was something new or different that God wanted me to experience, that God wanted me to do. And I started to just simply pray over it. I started to seek out, all right, God, like this is what I'm thinking. And this is what, this is the opportunity that's before me. Is this, like, are you in this? And the more I prayed, the more I got a sense that, you know what, actually, this is what God is calling me to do. And so I started to take steps to move in that direction. And one of those steps was to share it with the people I did life with for such a long time. I mean, I was going to lunch with these people every Sunday after church. We were hanging out on weeknights. Like, we were a community doing life together. And they knew me better than anybody else knew me at that point in my life. Which is what made what they had to say to me so shocking. It wasn't a chorus of support. 
I was met with, their, with the realities of what they expected of me and what they expected of my life. See, what they expected from me was to stay exactly where I was, and one particular conversation was incredibly painful. Somebody who I had a long-term relationship with, who had invested in me for years, when I shared what I was thinking about, what they said to me was, if you do this, you will be a complete disappointment to us. That was, that was a tough pill to swallow. It was really, really hard to hear. Because I was fine. Everything was cool. We were good friends. We were like family as long as I fit in with the expectations they had of me. As long as I fit into the life that they expected me to live. At that moment, I had two options. Option one would have been to cave in to the, ex- to the weight of the expectations and to do what they wanted because that would, that would make everything between me and them okay. There's instantly no more issue. Option two was to say, I have to be obedient to what God's calling me to. Even if it puts me at odds with what you expect of my life, I have to go with God. That's what I did, and now I'm here. (laughs) That's kind of the quick version of the way that story wraps up, but don't miss, like, this is the thing. For all of us, there are so many choices, there are so many things that we have to, uh, that, that we have to weigh. Am I going to live my life? Am I going to live half of a life according to the expectations of the people around me, of the culture around me? Or am I going to live and seek to live a full life, the one that God intended for me when he put me together in, the, in my mother's womb? Do I want to experience the abundance of life that Jesus promises or do I want to experience whatever it is over here that's going to make the people in my life happy with my choices? When you live someone else's life, it means you're saying no to the life that God has for you. And it's a very, very difficult thing. So here we find our our Savior, we find Jesus in this instance, in this moment. He's dealing with the weight of expectations from others. How many of you have ever felt that way? How many of you have ever felt pressure from others to just be a certain way, to live and act a certain way? We've got families that have expectations of what we should do with our lives. As the, the student pastor here at New Life, I have no shortage of opportunities to connect with young people, to talk with them about their lives and what they're experiencing and what they want to do. And what I hear from a lot of them is that they have an idea of what they believe their life is. They have an idea of what they want to do. They have, they have dreams. They have hopes. They have passion. They have vision for where they want to go and where they want to be headed. And some of them have parents who have different ideas and different dreams for them. And I've, I've heard a number of them tell me, I actually don't think that the life I want is possible because my parents won't let me live it. They feel crippled by the weight of the expectations of their families. And some of you sitting in this room have, have, have arrived at the place you are having lived with that. That you wanted your life to go one way, but the weight of, the, of, of your family's expectations, the, the weight of what they wanted you to do, won out. 
And so you may be left wondering what your life could have been. Thank God that there's grace for us and it's never too late to start walking in our God-given lives. But it's not just pressure from family. It's not just situations and issues that we encounter in church or at work in our jobs. Culture puts a ton of weight on us. The culture itself, what's happening in the world around us, has this way of of suggesting a way to live that seems like a lot more than just a simple, this is an option, it's a suggestion. My wife and I had this really interesting conversation, and by interesting, she called me out on something I was doing and I didn't like it. But I've learned, I've been married for like a year and a month, so not long at all. But I've learned that my wife is wise, and it takes me some time to catch up to her. So she asked me, she asked me one day as I was sitting in my room on my phone, just kind of browsing through Instagram, clicking through people's stories. I think she had come into the room, and this just goes to show how much attention I was paying to her, which is terrible. She came in the room to talk to me, and I kind of gave her half of my attention. The other half was I was locked into my phone. And she said to me, why are you so interested Why are you so interested in the lives of other people instead of living your own? That was was deep, (laughs) y'all. The back of my neck got all red. I was like, Lord, this woman is going to... I've heard marriage called the great sanctifier. Like, Jesus is doing a work in my life through my wife for sure. But see, I'm, I have, I'm guilty of spending a ton of time browsing through social media. And don't get me wrong, this is not like an anti-Instagram, Facebook, Twitter rant. I don't, that would not be consistent with who I am. But I do realize that there's a danger that exists there. That we can invest so much of our time looking at other people's lives that we neglect our own. We spend so much time envying the life of other people that we forget that, you know what, This person ate at that restaurant, and that food looked really good in the picture, but I don't have to live vicariously through a photograph. I can actually go to the restaurant. (laughs) But see, this is the problem. This is the danger with all this stuff. We have unprecedented access to the lives of other people. Never at any time in the history of the world have we been able to know all three meals that a person ate in a given day. And yet we're constantly bombarded with these things. We constantly put them before ourselves and we allow them to shape the way that we think about our own lives. They become a measuring stick for the quality of our own lives. And God has something very different for you than measuring your life up against somebody else's social media posts. But it's not just social media. We do the same thing with television. We do the same thing with movies and books. We do it with celebrities. We get so immersed in the made-up worlds of other people that we forget that there's a life that we're called to, that we can be experiencing, that's unique to us, that God has given us and is actually calling you to go out and live. We're constantly being given suggestions for what our life is. So my question for us today is this. Whose life are you living? Whose life are you really living? Are you living your God-given, unique, unrepeatable life? 
Or are you crushed under the weight of the expectations of everyone around you? Jerry Scazzaro in her book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Woman, which a lot of this content we'll be talking about for the next several weeks is based on, she gives 10 suggestions of, or 10 signs that you may be living someone else's life. And I'm going to put them up here for you guys. We'll just read through them really quickly. Here they are. You care too much about what others think of you. You lie. You blame. You avoid confrontation. You believe false peace is better than no peace. You always put others before yourself. You say yes even when you want to say no. You can't disagree with strong people. You're more concerned with keeping people happy at the expense of your own happiness. You're unsure of your preferences. Now, all of those things, I'm not going to explain them all, but if you want to dig into them, I encourage you, after the service is over, you can go right downstairs to the bookstore, pick up The Emotionally Healthy Woman. It's, it's for everybody. Like, I've read it, and I've been really, I was really, really blessed by it. So, guys, don't be afraid of the title. Like, you will find, no, seriously, you will find life on the pages of, of and the things that, that are written there. So don't be scared off by a book called The Emotionally Healthy Woman. It's for us, too. See, the truth about all of us is this. All of you, you're unrepeatable. There will never, ever be another person like you in the history of the world. For, and there's never been anyone like you before. You have a God-given set of gifts, talents, abilities. There are passions in you that come directly from God, things that he's deposited, deposited into you that he wants you to live out. And when we live the lives of other people, we actually rob the world of the gift that your life could be. When we are not seeking out the life that God has for us, we're not free. We're not free to be the people that God has called us to be. But like I said, thank God that there's grace. Oh my goodness. See, the only way, even when we look at this story of Jesus today, the only way he's able to resist the pressure on him is by he knows who he is. Jesus is fully aware of who he is. He knows what his life is about. He knows what his mission is. He understands what it is that he's called to. And we see a glimpse of that in Mark 3, 31 to 35. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those, and I want you to pay attention. And actually, let's say this word together. Seated. Everybody say seated. seated. He looked at those seated around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And Jesus hears his family. He understands what they want, but he doesn't give in. Now understand, this is not a rejection of his family. It's an expansion of his family. He's saying, if you're my, fa- you want to be- you're my family, you know who my family is? My family are the people who are, who are seated with me. They're orienting, they're building their life around me. 
They're, they're making sure that they're deeply connected to me. Jesus in this moment is looking at the posture of the people around him. He's looking at the fact that they're seated around him and he calls them family. And I'm reminded of Mary and Martha. Maybe you know the story. Jesus is in, is, in, is in their home. Martha is busy doing all the work that goes into putting on a dinner party. She's cleaning and cooking and she's getting annoyed and irritated that Mary is just kind of sitting around. Some of you are, are, are chuckling because you know somebody that's like that. You're looking at somebody who's like that. I love to sit around while other people do all the work. <laughs> but Jesus hears Martha's complaint. And he says, Mary's actually chosen what's better. Because she's not caught up in the busyness. She's not caught up in the doing. She's made a choice to just be present with Jesus. And it's in being present with Jesus that we can have any hope at all of finding our lives. It's only in being present with Jesus that we have any hope of finding our lives. And that leads us to the idea that the more deeply you're connected to God and his love, the more you'll discover about the life he's called you to. Only then can you live out your God-given unique life. The, more, the deeper your connection to God, the greater chance you give yourself of living the life that you're called to that nobody else is called to. I love the words in Matthew, in the message translation, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. This is what it says. Come to me, get away with me, and you recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't that sound good? Just, Jesus is saying, just, just come to me and you know what? I'm going to put stuff on you that belongs on you. And I'm going to take stuff off of you that doesn't belong on you. I'm going to, put, I'm going to show you the kind of life that, that you're supposed to be living. I'm going to set you free so that every person you meet knows what freedom looks like. I'm going to set you free so that you can be a good gift to every person that you talk to. Because not only are you no longer living someone else's life, you're also not expecting somebody else to live yours. You can live free and you can be all of the things. You can start to become the things that God has called you to. But it's a, it's a process and it's hard, difficult work. Jesus' invitation is to life. It's a life with values that are shaped by God. It's a life of rhythm that leads you to being seated with Jesus over and over and over again. So that even when life gets busy and hectic and chaotic because stuff is going to come up, you know that I need, like, I need to be in this rhythm of getting back to Jesus. I need to make sure that I'm not taking on things that don't actually belong to me, that don't belong on me. This is a, it's not an overnight process. It doesn't go quick. 
I heard it described once as crockpot spirituality. Anybody know what a crockpot is? You put stuff in it, you set it for like seven hours, you go, you go to work, you come home, and your food is ready. It's great. <laughs> but it takes time, as opposed to fast food spirituality. You go get things that have the appearance of life. They have the appearance of being good for you. But in actuality, it's not, it's not good for you at all. It's a process. It takes, it takes, it takes time. Our true lives are only found in Jesus, and I'm going to call our worship team to come forward. My encouragement to you today is that find your way to him. Find your way to drown out all the noise, all the pressure. Like, do you understand, if we're not, if we're not getting to Jesus, like, you're, we're just living a life that's not ours. And Jesus even says it himself in, in Mark 31, in Mark 3, 335, he says, sorry, I want to go back to that. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, is my brother and sister and mother. Now, God's will for you may be individual, like God's will for your life is different than God's will for mine, but understand that there, is, there are some things that are universal, and one of those things that God wills for your life is that you be who he made you to be. It's that you discover who he made you to be. Because it's from this place that you can live. It's from this place that you can resist. Even this week as I was preparing to, to share with all of you, I realized something like, as a pastor, it's easy to get caught up in the lives of other pastors. Especially, again, like, I spend a lot of time on social media. I follow a lot of pastors. I see the way that they preach. Everybody's got a really clever illustration. And like, all that stuff is great. But if it's not who I am, then I have no business going near it. Amen. We're, guys, we're blessed to be in a church like we are. We have great preachers here. But I can't preach the way that Rich preaches because he's him and I'm, I'm Matthew. 36 years old. I'm a student pastor having the time of my life doing the thing that I believe God has called me to do and I have to do it out of, the, out of the reality of who God has made me to be. We all have to get to that place where we're living our lives out of the reality of who God has called all of us to be and we have to do the hard work of discovering that. Jesus is inviting you to come. Recover your life. Learn to walk in the unforced rhythms of grace. And live your God-given, unique, unrepeatable life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you invite us to life. Thank you that you are waiting for us to be seated with you. That you're inviting us into that space. And in return, you help us come alive. I pray that we would be bold, that we would be courageous in following after you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.
You know, if the reality is, I want to invite our, our prayer team to come forward as well as those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup today. We all have one singular objective in life, really, as the people of God, as followers of Jesus. That singular objective is to do God's will. That's, that's what we all share together, to do God's will. And what gets challenging is this. God has called you to do God's will in one particular way and in one particular season in life, using particular experiences and gifts and passions and all of that there. And the problem becomes when we begin to, we begin to confuse who we are with someone else. The reality is we, we have one, will, one thing to do, one objective, it's God's will, and it manifests in a multitude of different ways. And so listen, no, none, of, none of us in this room have a private relationship with God. No one has a private relationship with God. But we have a unique relationship with God. God has given you particular gifts and experiences and, and, and problems that have come your way to shape you uniquely into the person he's calling you to be. And, and to, live, to live into this authentic self means that we must begin to say with regularity, this is not who I am and this is who I am. And it's something that has to take place over the course of our lives. A consistent rejection of that's not me, this is me. I think about John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came on the scene and people saw his powerful preaching, they said, this guy must be the Messiah. And John very clearly in John chapter 1 says, I am not the Messiah. And then they said, oh, he must be Elijah. He says, I am not Elijah. They said, who are you? He said, I'm a voice. I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. But, but I love it. John says, that's not me. That's not me. That's me. And throughout the entire scriptures, we see... Bible characters over and over having to say, this is not who I am. David, as he's about to go fight Goliath, has a guy named Saul, says, put on this armor. And David tries it and says, "Ah, this doesn't fit. This ain't me. And he takes it off and says, God gave me a slingshot and a little bit of faith. That's all I can go with. I think about Peter at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus comes to Peter and says, Peter, feed my sheep. And then he says, Peter, you're going to go a place where you don't want to go. In other words, you're going to die a particular death. And Peter, the first thing Peter says is, he looks at the other disciple and says, but what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. You follow me. Throughout the scriptures, we see over and over again, the invitation to live a life that God has called us to live. And so what's repentance? Repentance is often, very simply, you going back on the path that God has called you to. And to live somebody else's life, brothers and sisters, is exhausting and expensive too. As As the phrase goes, you end up buying things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like. Because you're trying to live somebody else's life. And yet God is saying, no, I've called you to live a particular life. Repentance is get off the path that's not you and come back on the path that God has called you to. One of the ways we, re- we enter into that space is by receiving prayer. Our prayer team is here. And the temptation is very powerful to measure our lives to other people, to compare our lives to other people. We say to ourselves, I should be at this place in life already. I should have these things. I should have accomplished these things. 
We live what Henry Nouwen calls according to false deadlines that we create. And if I'm not here by this point, I'm a failure. But that's somebody else's life. God has called you to something particular. And there's no need to be ashamed of where you're at in life. God's called you to a particular place. Now repent and come back on that path. And so whether you're coming for prayer, whether you're coming for the bread and the cup, I believe the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you today very clearly to what the Word of God said and what the Word said through Matt, that God has called you to live a life that no one else can live. So as we close our gathering, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. At the end of the service here, we'll have our newcomer lunch. We'll meet in the lower level. Uh, If you haven't signed up for that and you're still interested in attending, feel free to stop by. We'll start probably a little before 2.30 or so. And we'll be done by four. And so hopefully we can connect down there, especially if, uh, if I've never met you before. But with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, being who God called you to be. And may you be who God called you to be in in all the glory that God has called you to walk in. And may you bear witness to the truth through your life that Jesus Christ is alive. And may you demonstrate what it looks like to walk in freedom, not comparing and despairing, but living a life of deep gratitude, being who God has called you to be. And so may you truly live your authentic self, doing the will of God. And I bless you all today in the strong and the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And the people of God said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.